Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. Hi, I'm Dr. Yosef Wittering. It's my pleasure to be joined today by uh, Killian. Yeah, Killian's from uh, Switzerland, and today he's going to be talking to us about PSSD. It's a condition that he suffers from. He experiences significant emotional blunting and um, and significant impairment in sexual functioning. Uh, despite this, he's able to have a understanding relationship. And Killian has kindly agreed to come on and talk to us about how his condition developed and the impact that it's had on his life. So Killian, thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Uh, pleasure to meet you. Um, it's a bit uh, ironical given the, the condition, but uh, it's, a, it's an honor and, and a pleasure to be able to um, share a few words with you guys on just maybe share my story and, and educate people on, on that topic before it's too Thank late. Thank you. Yeah. So, so let's, I always think it's nice just uh, to go chronologically. Tell, tell us about your story. How did you end up taking antidepressants in the first place? I will try to, uh, to make it short, but a lot of things yeah. uh, have happened. Let's start with the start. So, um, Young, when I was young, I was a very active uh, young um, guy and uh, no issues whatsoever. Um, I had, uh, I was doing like competition, a tennis competition uh, at a high level. So that was awesome for me in terms of a relationship with people and confidence. Um, at some point, I did have some issues with my, uh, with my body. So I had to stop uh, from a day to another. And, um, yeah, when I was younger, I did have an issue with sleeping. Um, that came when I was two or three years old. So before any med taken and before anything, um, 30 years old, I stopped tennis and then I just continued life. Um, what happened basically is since 2003, I'm suffering from a physical pain in my body, which as of now, like 20 years later, we still don't know really why. So a lot of things have, um, have been tried on meanwhile. The point is that, um, I ended up, let's say I couldn't work anymore because too much pain and too much symptoms uh, in my body. Um, so around, let's say 2009, which is 20 years old. Um, I did see a psychiatrist. And uh, things didn't go really well, let's say. So he didn't really do the, the proper diagnosis in my case. And he began prescribing me a benzodiazepine. So, uh, Wait, as you know, was this for pain, for, for pain, physical pain from a sports injury? Not really. Let's say that at, back in the, at, at that time, the diagnosis wasn't really clear, was kind of for him, like a small depression without really any, mm -hmm. anything in there. Um, I did try the benzodiazepine and as you, you know, very well, the topic, it's a very addictive, uh, drug. Mm -hmm. So I started with, um, small doses and then, um, ended taking them, uh, up to 25 times the, the prescribed amount. And with time I wasn't even, uh, seeing him. So. He was just doing me the, the prescriptions online, uh, like via email. So I took them to in two years and, um, 
Well, let me just in interrupt. So, I mean, so were you depressed when you started taking them? Was that the reason? So, I mean, I, w I was young. The thing is that I had a, a lot of pain in my, in my body. So obviously a lot of uh, difficulties to sleep, mm -hmm. tension and pain 24-24. So at some point, obviously it puts you way down. But I wouldn't say yes. it's, it's the, I mean, depression is just the consequences of the problem. And uh, without mm -hmm. considering the fact that obviously you're young and you're going through a lot of changes and blah, blah, blah. Um, I was feeling bad, definitely. Did it require benzodiazepine? I, I couldn't say it's the case. Did it work? It did work during a few weeks. Awesome. It's a uh, benzo is a muscle relaxant and uh, it has uh, anxiety properties. In my case, it was more for the tension. Um, so you get very addictive quickly to this uh, molecule. And and I ended up, let's say, not taking them to feel good, but taking them to not feel bad. And I was stuck in, let's say, a vicious circle because um, it wasn't doing any effect. And in the mid-long term, the thing is that it's worsening my sleeping issues. It's worsening my muscular tension, it's worse than my anxiety. So you're back to stage one and especially you, you, you have a high dose that requires medical attention. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so how did, okay. So, okay. So there's some an unhappiness because you're in chronic pain. It sounds like from, from sports injuries. And so you get put on a benzodiazepine, which maybe in the short run helps with some relaxation, but doesn't work in the long run. When did you end up moving from the benzo over to an antidepressant? What was the story behind that? So when he, when the, this psychiatrist uh, prescribed me benzodiazepine, there, there isn't, sorry, there wasn't any follow-up. So just a pill and no inner work, no uh, CBT, nothing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't working and I was talking these pills and, I mean, no improvement. So when I quit my job, because when I was taking those benzos, I was working in a private uh, American bank and uh, mm -hmm. I was doing my job well, but physically in terms of pain, I had to quit. And uh, I was referred to someone else, uh, another psychiatrist. And before doing anything with me, she did understand I was on high doses. So she said, she told me before anything, we need to get rid of this problem. And I agreed to, to go to a rehab in, in my city here, um, for one month to be able to tap them and stop them. Um, so I spent one month, uh, successful withdrawal despite the symptoms. That's where, in fact, the, the hospital introduced me to other meds. Um, in this case, uh, in this case, it was a antipsychotic like um, Seroquel. Um, yep. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I've taken eleven meds uh, during the those ten years, but let's say a lot of trial and error. But I did have some um, antidepressants also. That I started over there, and that's how we did the. The transition, if you can say, um, yep. so I was happy because I was off benzos, but at the same time, when you think about it, you just like 
giving up an addiction to, to, to translate to another one. So I think it was still a, a smart move, but I was really young and I didn't, I didn't know better. I trusted a, a medical field here and uh, I had a good experience, let's say at the, at the hospital, I had the opportunity to meet uh, a lot of people who have um, issues with alcohol, with cocaine, heroin, and mm -hmm. to some extent, uh, benzodiazepine. Um, it did, uh, it did, um, I did learn a lot from that, uh, yeah. I can say. So your experience is a very common one. So many people that go to benzo detox end up getting put on a whole range of different medications uh, to treat the withdrawal symptoms or potentially the underlying condition that, that originally resulted in the benzodiazepine prescription. And so it sounds like you go through that experience and you come out on some other medications uh, and including an antidepressant. Um, what was the antidepressant that that you were on the longest after you were started on them following the detox? So just before answering the question, before I forget, uh, when I switched a psychiatrist, she did make mm -hmm. another diagnosis for me that ends up being maybe not totally wrong, but not totally correct. So she told me I had some uh, generalized anxiety and obviously I okay. had some uh, sleep issues so and pain issues. So that's why they gave me antidepressants because obviously there's nothing. I mean, that's, that's the weapons are the, the, the psychiatrists have here and, and in the world. Sure. So mm -hmm. that, that has its logic, let's say, um, to answer your question, the antidepressant I stayed the longer for was uh, FXO. It's a uh, venlafaxin okay. and, um, uh, Romeron which is a mirtazapine. So, mm -hmm. um, mirtazapine, uh, increases the serotonin and norepinephrine and, and FXO the same. Uh, yeah. Okay. If I'm not wrong. And, um, okay. So when you were on the Effexor and the mirtazapine, did you develop any sexual dysfunction while taking the meds? So when I think about it now, now, um, I did have sexual dysfunctions, but they were positive ones. So I'm going to explain that because it's a bit sure. strange to hear this. 2011, I started the meds. So I finished them in 2019. So I took a bunch of them. When I started those antidepressants, uh, I noticed a, a change in my sexual uh, activity or performance, let's say. Um, so. I was able to last much longer than before, which I cannot complain. Um, mm -hmm. but when I think about it now, it was the, the numbness I had that make me last so long. So in that sense, during all these years, it didn't really bother me. I didn't have any, I don't have the, the sensation, but all the rest was intact emotionally and, um, attractiveness and Everything was working fine. Just the sensation was bad, but for me it was, it was acceptable. So that was while I was on the med, I can say I didn't have any issues or visible, noticeable issues. That's very interesting. So 
bring it forward now um, and tell us when when did you first notice that you were developing PSSD? So it's pretty precise. I would say first alert for me is 2017. How so long was some... how long had you been on the meds for at that point? Six years. Six okay. years. Um, there was a lot of things that happened, but I wanted to stop antidepressants for several reasons. Um, one being that it didn't really, let's say, match my my belief anymore in the sense that I didn't have the improvement on my symptoms. But also, I love researching and reading articles on just improving my my body and mind, self development, and I was really aware of of the impact that can have the meds on on all the organs of my body, my body, including my brain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was sure that a really fix, like a real fix, would require me a lot of efforts in terms of uh, lifestyle change, what I eat, what I put in my body, the habits I have every day. Um, so I was more focused on this, and also at that point, at that time, I was already into fasting, which is something I find very interesting and that I like. So step by step, I discussed with my psychiatrist, and we did, let's say, a, a plan to stop. To answer fully your question, because I'm not there yet, uh, 2017, I was on two meds only. And I uh, was um, weaning off FXO. So starting dose was around 150 milligram. And in 2017, I was at 75 uh, milligram for a long time. So I started, let's say, um, reducing. And when I arrived around, let's say 20, 20 milligrams, 14 milligrams, that's where trouble arrived because the big challenge is tapering. You've got those 150 milligram pills, you got 75 and then you got 37.5 and then you're just left on your own. Yeah. So I was spending a few hours every week, just counting the pills into my caps and, um, and removing them, uh, step by step slowly. When I arrived at this very low dose, one day I didn't have a, an issue, uh, like in a sex activity. So I went from someone who was performing very good. I can say like maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes, even more, um, to literally like one minute. So first time I arrived, I was like, okay, maybe I decreased a bit too fast. No big deal. I had a chat with my psychiatrist. She said, yeah, it's normal. You know, you, you have some layers, uh, coming from the medication and you removing the, the layers. So basically the protection you have that makes you last longer. It's, it's going, oh, okay. No big deal. Let, let me ask you this. So, so it sounds like for several years you, you had, um, you know, you were, you were lasting longer, which was clearly a side effect of the medication, but not yeah. really one that was a negative effect, at least how, yeah. how you were perceiving it at the time. And then you taper down to 20 and you, oh, yes. I guess you, yeah, you start to have 
I guess what we would call premature ejaculation, you know, where okay. it came on quickly. Now, was that faster than it was in the past? Because I know in the past you said it lengthened it. W- were you getting back to normal or was this much quicker than you were even Pre-med- before you yeah, pre-med- b- before you were medicated? So I, c- I can still answer this question easily. Pre-med, I didn't have a like a massive experience. I was 19 years old, so mm-hmm. I was not really young, but I don't have a massive experience, but it was still much shorter. Um, I cannot say exactly what was my performance before, but it was not this. Um, okay. Yeah. Really. All right. Okay. So please, please go on. Tell us what happened next. Um, just forgot where we were at before. Uh, you you said that you were down to 20. You noticed that um, oh, yeah. I guess rate of ejaculation was much mm-hmm. faster and you went to went and you talked to your psychiatrist. Exactly. So I eventually went to um, a dose a bit higher and then a bit higher and then I came back to 75 milligrams. That I did this, I reacted quickly, maybe four or five days after this episode took 37 and then I think one or two weeks after directly to 75, which is not really smart. But what I noticed is that despite being back at my normal dose, I was not having the same performance. So it was not a catastrophe. I was back to, let's say 10 minutes, which is regular or normal or depending on people, obviously, um, there are ways to, to improve your Sure. Your lasting time, whether chemically or mechanically or weaving, there are ways clearly, but average people, let's say it's not too bad. And, um, I stayed on this during two years and no change. Like it wasn't really good, but it wasn't catastrophic. But my baseline that was set by the antidepressants wasn't there anymore. I mean, I could feel it when I was engaging in this activity, something was changed and at that time, I did have a quick check on the internet. I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say something. Um, I think when you said ten minutes is pretty normal, I think that is pretty normal for for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, how did you know that you weren't kind of back to normal? Like, what what about how that felt made you say? there's something that doesn't feel quite right about this, or, or maybe I'm assuming maybe it did feel normal, but you were more used to lasting longer because that was normal for you so many times for so many years before. When I say normal, I mean, my, my, the experience itself was normal. Everything was normal. Just the last time was different. So it did affect okay. a bit my, my way of proceeding, but still all good. Um, of -hmm. course, this duration is set by the antidepressant. So I'm referring to my antidepressant baseline before again, I wasn't lasting that longer, but I wasn't into that extreme, like not talking about the 10 minutes, but when I came to one minute, this was definitely not normal. And I saw that it was, it was really weird how it happened. Um, yeah. Not sure it's answering your question. No, no, it's you. You did. You said that it was different from what you'd been used to on the antidepressant. It was much shorter, but it sounds like everything else felt normal to you. You know, it it, it just wasn't as long, but everything seemed just to feel fine. 
the explanation for me, it's, it's never simple, but for me, it's not too complicated at that time is that I went back to the antidepressant without, without, uh, waiting too much. So there was an effect that wasn't full blown. I just managed somehow to limit the, the damage. And that's why I think it was not that bad. Um, and your question mm -hmm. is really relevant because it's important to know if if it's like really PSSD or if you're just coming back to your normal baseline that was pre-SSD, uh, pre-SSI. Um, again, I think the, the answer is, is not that complicated, but it's still complex because years go by and you take meds and you evolve in terms of physics, in terms of confidence, in terms of many things. So it's not easy to pinpoint. Yeah. You know? Okay. So walk us forward from there. So, so how does the story unfold? So um, I love researching. I love spending hours on internet for everything. It, it didn't take me too long to, to, um, discover a PSSD forum. So basically I was just checking what happens when you stop antidepressants, uh, because I was fully aware that sexual side effects during uh, medication is very common, no big deal. Um, and, um, I did discover the PSCD forum, having people who have a lot of sexual issues remaining after withdrawal, um, during years. So when I saw that, I didn't feel too concerned. I was like, I was literally seeing people saying that they do not feel emotions. They, do, they cannot cry. They cannot, uh, they cannot really, um, have attractiveness and that stuff. And in my head, I was like, okay, that's not my issue. The issue is that I'm coming too fast right now. So who has this condition? Yeah. I was fully disconnected because I was like, this is impossible. Like how I am like very emotional, very insensitive, very, let's say sex oriented. Everything was working too, too, too good. I can say. So I was like, this, there's no way this is happening to me. So. I did check that some people had these side effects undiscovered PSSD. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back in my, to my med. I'm going to live my life. And at some point I'm going to, I'm going to withdraw again. And I don't care if I last five minutes to 10, like the body's important. Mm, you're going to mature and take a decision. I will stop it proper, like with supervision and properly and, uh, and no big deal. Okay. Well, you're here with me now. So tell me what happened, uh, with that plan. Life is full of surprises. Yeah. Um, yeah. that plan. So to fast forward to 2019, I was already in the, in the fasting community. It's something I research a lot and have a lot of people who are doing fasting for a lot of different reasons, whether it's juice fasting, water fasting, colon cleansing lifestyle improvement, self-development, just, I was really into this and I, I understood and that I had to make a change at some point and it's not too late. And, um, I did have an appointment with someone uh, who specialized in this field and I was fully aware of how to proceed, but I did have this medication. So I wanted to be with like, have some caution about that. So plan has been done and I was, um, ready to do a 40 day juice fasting, 
initially 30 days that turned out in the 40 days uh, with the preparation the fasting itself and of course the the refeeding process um regarding the meds i did the follow a plan to not have too much uh before before starting the juice fast um obviously the um, the tapering process uh, you know is that we don't really have good protocols uh <laughs> that that's how it works so 75 i ended up to 37 and i started the juice fast with 37 milligrams okay and so just to clarify you decided to lower your dose because you were worried that you didn't need as high of a dose while you were juice fasting. Was that the 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 reason, or was there something else? I did lower it the the weeks or months of uh, leading to the fast uh, to not have a too too high dose. Obviously, to not have too much effects because I knew that the the last dosage is the is the most difficult one. Clearly. Especially with uh, FXO, that has a. I think if I'm not wrong, the the short uh, like ha- the shortest half life of the. It's pretty short, yeah. And I'm not mm-hmm. talking about the like metazapine is not a big deal, but there was another one on the list too. So I mean, I, I know what what it's like to have brain zaps and to have like symptoms of withdrawal because I've I've taken a lot of those meds, increasing doses lowering doses, changing meds, um, so the interactions and, and everything I can, I went through everything. So I, I knew, I know what it's like. And did you, and so just, so tell us now, what, what were you on at that time? Was it Effexa, Metazapine and was it Seroquel still or was no. it another, a different medication? Yeah. So from 2014, I was essentially on Romeron and Effexa. Before yeah. that, okay. I was on uh, nine other different meds, but not at the same time, obviously. So there was some Lyrica, which is a Fregla. Oh, that's Fregla okay. Mountain. That's okay. It's yeah. an anti, anti-epileptic that is used uh, for pain issues. So I did try yeah. those. I was on Zoloft. I was on. Um, oh, that's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt just just as just to say on track. Okay, so did you lower the metazapine? Um, in the lead up to your 40 day juice fast as well, or did you just lower the effects or? I did, I did lower them at uh, 15 milligram, uh, metazapine, which is the lowest dose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. To answer your question on the meds, okay. because I have a list here. I, I like to be prepared. Uh, what right. I took yeah. from 2011 to 14. And again, not at the same time. I mean, I have psychiatrists, uh, I can, sh- I can say despite everything that she still knows what she does. I mean, she's not prescribing anything at any time. Um, but I did go through a lot to, because we don't have any improvement in terms of either anxiety, either sleep issues, either pain, and sometimes symptoms to deal with side effects. Uh, so like, let's say that finding the right dosage when you're on more than two meds is a real big challenge. When you are three meds, you just don't know what you're doing. So it's not easy to assess and no not at all but let me let me interrupt you let's let's move back to the juice fast now so tell us what what happened during your 40-day juice fast 
So my juice fast went very well. I followed the plan um, uh, accordingly. And I didn't have, I, I managed to stop medication without any withdrawal effect, zero. Like no brain zap, nothing. Um, this. Oh, um, sorry. I, I think I've misunderstood. Did you do the juice fast to taper while you were fasting, like to, to end? Exactly, yeah. Oh my God. Okay. I missed that. All right. Sorry, um, but, uh, if I wasn't clear. Yeah, yeah. No, no. So, so, so you were preparing to do this juice fast because you wanted to taper off all medications during the fast, right? That was one of my motivation, not only, but it was a okay. let's say the easiest way to taper off the end. Why, why, why is that the easiest way to finish a taper? It's not something I'm aware of. Is this something in the community that has been successful for people or? Give me some context on on where that came from. Obviously, fa fasting is a another whole topic, but I, I will try to answer answer your question. The there two minute been, the two minute version, yeah. yeah. There has been a yeah. uh, so the one who was guiding me is, is someone called Tyler Tolman. Um, he's very well known in, in Australia, and um, he did have a lot of patients. Um, I mean, he assisted in people during fasting, more than ten thousand people or more. So. He, he, he does have some kind of experience with all kinds of uh, of issues. Um, the list is long, but what we what he tells and what fasting science says is that when fasting, your body is much more efficient in detoxing everything because you're not eating. And when you're not eating, you say maybe about 60, 70% of your energy while they're acting in your regeneration and into autophagy, into stem cell regeneration, and you're increasing your BNDF, you're increasing, um, what else do you have? There's a lot of things going on. So okay. honestly, I had the, the opportunity to experience that. And when I lowered the last dose, I didn't, I, I did it in two parts. The first part, I didn't feel anything. And the second part, I didn't feel any withdrawal effects but <laughs> because there's a but yeah. and, and this yeah. is when I say but I'm not saying that fasting is the issue I, I don't think it's at all the issue but when I when I tap at the last bit the very very last bit that was just a few days let's say at, at day 25 or day day 20 day 30 35 something like that um, I noticed a switch, like flagrant switch. So I, at that time had a lot of, I can say anxiety. Yes. Um, was it, was it due to the med, the fact that my, I had the impression that I have always had a lot of tension and my heart pumping a lot. I cannot say it's the, the antidepressants fault, but it, the question remains, but from a day well, a minute to another, like I wasn't feeling anything. And during a few hours, I was like, this is cool. And then, and then I had my girlfriend at the time, uh, writing me, uh, she was living abroad. And when she sent me a message, like I didn't, didn't have anything happening in my brain. I didn't even want to read the message. I was so disconnected. And starting from there, 
I was like, there's something that's not normal. And then with time, I said, let's wait three months, a bit six months. Like we know that during fasting, um, sexuality is definitely no priority. I'm not talking about emotions, but sex drive and all that stuff, which is normal. But usually after it comes back really, really strong. So yeah, it's a bit long what I'm saying, but we, we, we can develop after. No, no. I mean, this is the important, this is, I actually think it is a place we should spend more time is the, um, the first few weeks to months when, when you started realizing things were abnormal, you know, things had changed to just kind of unpack what that was like for you, you know, how, how you started to notice bit by bit that there were more things wrong. It was really fast. I mean, really easy to spot everything. I mean, in a few days, I know something was wrong. I just didn't know if it was going to come back or it was temporarily. So I was focusing on refeeding and just doing the process and giving me some time and not thinking too much about it. But something was off. And, uh, and when was, you say something was off, is, was it mainly the emotional blunting or were, were there other things that you were noticing? It was the emotional blunting, but the fact of like my heart was really calm. Like it wasn't pumping anymore. It was like so chill. Like if I had like a high dose benzo, like 24, 24. And it's mm -hmm. very a nice feeling, but it's not supposed to stay, you know? So I eventually I was confronted to reality very quick because we're talking about, I finished my fasting August, 20, 2019, August, 2019 in September, I was going to, uh, to the Philippines where I went already three times. I had my girlfriend over there. Uh, it's a it's a country I love. I love the culture. I love the islands, the sun, the fruits. Uh, I love my girlfriend. So I mean, I was going to a place that is really a good place for me, supposedly. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, before going to Philippines, I was already feeling that I wasn't reacting to everything, to anything like to music and. Uh, my fear was off. So I did something that I usually wouldn't do. I did, uh, I booked for, um, a bungee jump in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. So 190 meters uh, from a suspended bridge. This is not really something <laughs> I like doing. No, yeah. I, I, I'm not into that. Like yeah. I hate that, but I had to try something to see if I'm responding. So I said, oh yeah, God. I'm going yeah. to do this. So I'm driving three hours over there and it was pretty almost comic because we were 10 person waiting to, to go and nobody wanted to go first. So the guy's like, who's coming first? I'm like, yeah, I'll try. And he says, three, two, one, I'm just jumping. Like I had a friend that was next to me and he told me, I have the impression you were jumping like, like you were going to the toilet taking a piss. Wow. And that's how, yeah. that's how I jump into the, cause it, it was pretty scary, a scary place. And I just jumped like that and I hurt myself, but that's another story, <laughs> but 
I, I didn't, usually I know my body and my brain leading to the jump. Normally three days before I would be thinking about it. I would have some kind of pressure building up to the, to the day I jump. The hours before would become very intense, stress, anxiety, difficult to sleep, like excitation. And this case is just two minutes before jumping that I'm building up some pressure. And when I finished the jump, I noticed I didn't have this post, uh, adrenaline or dopamine or this feeling of that's crazy. You know, I, I didn't really have any feeling when I jumped, I did feel my, my heart doing the pump like that, just one, but it was more mechanical than chemical. I can't, I can't say I didn't feel anything, but I mean, I didn't feel mm -hmm. a lot. And this is not normal because being was a, it, was it scary when you were doing it? So it's, it's very short, but the only moment I was maybe scared is when I took the jump, but when I was like in the air, I, I can't say it was gone, but I didn't have really the effect I, I should have, <laughs> like, I'm pretty wow. sure of it. And, um. I was telling my friend, mm -hmm. there's a difference between being a man and, and, uh, I mean, for me, being a man is not, is not doing these crazy activities for me. It's, it's just like, um, having some fears and overcoming them. This is being a man for me. It's not like no having fears. It's having some and doing something. Uh, so yeah, first episode, not the last one, but. Yeah, t t tell me more. What other things that what what were other experiences that were distinctly different for you? Um, this, now that this had the PSSD had developed. So if you stay in the same uh, timeline, this leads me to uh, my stay in Philippines. One one month after I'm going to the Philippines, I was already honestly in a bad shape before going over there because. I was just realizing that I lost connection with my partner. I didn't have any, any real motivation to talk. I didn't have any sensation when she was, let's say, telling me nice things, calling me, uh, when I wake up in the morning, I would usually check my, check my phone and read the messages and this would make my day. And all of this was erased and there was also a lot of like a brainstorm, like it was like a storm of emotions in the sense that following the, the discontinuation, I think he did such a, I don't know what's the word, like a, a hack or how could we say that? Like a storm of a chemical mm -hmm. storm, I would say it didn't make much sense, but there was something really bad and it was really difficult to the first year to face it. And, um, when I arrived into the Philippines, I, it was the, I think the worst period of my life. I did three months over there. It was very long. I spent the majority of the time in my room, hotel room, just doing nothing, just going out to buy some food when I had the motivation. Um, my partner was busy with work, but when I saw her, like I didn't have this physical connection, attraction. 
um, even emotionally, like there was, there was a gap, there was something wrong. And I always have been someone very, very emotional, very empathic, very sensitive. Um, so that was really a 360 and, um, this was really hard to, to go through because just realized that, that that's obviously something we all wait in, like having a relationship and having a good time and building something and projecting oneself. And I quickly understood that that's not even like something I can think about. Like this is, this is game over, you know, game over. Was it when you were in the Philippines, was that when it finally hit you that you had developed PSSD? Um, no, I knew it way before, but I was trying not to think too much about it. Um, psychiatrist was telling me that yeah, I wait a few months and all that stuff. And I was trying to convince myself that eventually it would go away. From my side, I was pretty sure I had PSSD, but I mean, I was open and let's see what happens, but definitely what was I, what I was going through was like, I don't know the word, like horrific or life changing, mm -hmm. like, like being alone, it was very difficult and I couldn't focus on anything. It's like I had like a cloud with storms the whole day above my head and, um, I, I still though those first months I still could cry, which I can't now. So everything was like very low and high at the same time. It was out of whack. That was the expression. Okay. Now you've talked a lot about the cognitive components of PSSD, which I've covered a lot in people, um, on this channel before, you know, the extreme blunting, the disconnection disconnection, mm -hmm. you know, feeling like you're watching the world through a TV rather than actually being in the world. Um, but we haven't talked a lot about your actual sexual functioning after, after the fast. Could you share, um, what, what you notice sexually after that? Well, I noticed and I, what I still, no, still notice to the, to that day, four years later, um, please. Of course, so there's eight symptoms. I'm gonna go through them. It's gonna be a bit graphic, but I mean that's that's a reality, and that's what why we're here for. Uh, people need to hear this. First one, the most flagrant one, is the loss of sensation down there. So what we would call uh, genital anesthesia. So basically, I can still feel tactile. Um, sensation, but nothing uh, erogenous. So it's like uh, you know those rubber bands you have and you use to erase something. It's the same, the same texture. And um, mm -hmm. honestly, I think you could you could like. I would have more sensation if you if you touch my arm than down there. That was the first one. This one, I can't say it's. I mean, it has definitely, it's worse than when I was taking antidepressants. I did have some kind of numbness. That's why I was lasting so long. This was a level above, but if it were only this, why not? But there's a lot of different symptoms following up. So 
I have my list, but I do know them. Second one, I would say it's the, the libido. Like I was someone with a very, very high libido. And from a day to another, even having my girlfriend in front of me over there, good looking. I mean, everything have the apartment. I mean, a country, everything I like, just no attraction and no, yeah, no libido. So you have to force yourself to perform and to try to do the act, which is a bit frustrating. <laughs> That's yeah. the second one. Um, the third one, it's a, a bit different than libido. I would say it's the, the lust. So during the activity, there's nothing making you really excited, whether before, during, and the, the experience is totally changed because you're normally guided by your emotions and, um, that's how you do your thing during the, the act. But when it's purely mechanic and you have to put your emotions aside, your way of doing it is totally different. And, and it's difficult to stay motivated to do it when you don't have all those chemicals like that are not working or doing the job. So yeah. this is uh, one, um, another one is the erectile dysfunction. When I say erectile dysfunction, I'm not talking about like 5% less and it's working and it, it's, it's a big struggle to, to have an erection and when you have it to maintain it, uh, in terms of length and, uh, and time, um, I wouldn't say it's dead either, uh, it's still working somehow, but it's, it's totally different and something that is different too is, um, is I don't have the spontaneous erections I had maybe during the day or the night. All of this doesn't come uh, neither. And um, you know, you have the, the glands inside. When your penis has the erection, basically it seems hard, but inside it's soft. And I feel it a lot. And it, some people maybe don't notice it, but it's like a soft, uh, don't know how we call that, soft, soft or something like that um this for me is pretty i don't know if you already heard sure. this no no i haven't i was actually going to ask you to dig in so um i'm trying to think like is it in the shaft of the penis or is it in the head of the penis where you notice it's um you know it's not as uh erect or as hard as it normally is it's inside yeah the visually you have the impression yes but when you have some shocks with it during the act, I feel that it's, it's not hard. So yeah, it's, it's soft inside. It's like inflated, okay. but at, at the same time, it's not. And what I can tell you is that I'm not the only one having this symptom. I think David Healy has uh, talked about this. If I'm not wrong, mm -hmm. um, I didn't notice it straight away because there's so much symptoms coming in, but I, I do now. Um, so this leads to, to the other symptom. <laughs> I'm not finished sure. yet. Um, the other one is, is the premature ejaculation or let's say rapid ejaculation. So this is classical, but, um, this is still present. 
um, there are ways of it to help maybe, but I can't say it's very satisfying. So this is not the worst one, but it's, it's one of them. And one frustrating one well, is, let, let me, before we go on to the next one, let me just ask you a bit more about that. Yeah. <laughs> I've probably talked to about maybe 12, 13 people with PSSD. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's more, but I feel like the premature ejaculation, I've heard that maybe twice. And I think the, the rest of them have said that they've been, you know, it's been incredibly difficult to ejaculate as well. Um, and so it sounds like what happened with you is premature ejaculation is more of a problem is, is than it is than being unable to reach orgasm. Is, is that true? It's definitely true. I think that some, I think it's a, a question of perspective also, because maybe some people in my body, uh, when I had the, the long lasting effect would maybe be frustrated because they have the impression they cannot finish. So I was mm-hmm. taking ages and ages, but I knew eventually it would, it would come, but maybe for some, it would, it's way too long. So I was fine with this, but now it's the, we the 360, it, it's, yeah. it's too fast. I mean, you have a, and I, I did a lot of work to try to fix this. Uh, we'll talk about it after maybe, but. Yeah, I noticed that some people develop premature education during the med, even though the med is usually given to to long to last longer. I don't think there's any real, real logic to the symptoms we have, but there's some symptoms that are more common than others, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so go on. Let's let's. Uh, go through the remaining symptoms. Yeah, um, pleasureless orgasm. This is also something that is that was new. I mean, and it's still it's still the case four years later. Basically, when you have ejaculation, you you don't have any pleasure. So it's like I'm doing the thing, and like, <laughs> and it's done. <laughs> like that's how it is. Oh my God, you don't have this build up yeah. with all the sensation, maybe. I don't know, 30 seconds before, I don't know, 30 and you're building up and you're feeling the pleasure. And then when you, you achieve the, the thing, you've got this release and this pleasure. What I've got now is I have this sensation of release mechanically. I do not feel the pleasure. So yeah, it's a bit, uh, I mean, there's nothing to explain. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awful. Yeah. Um, okay is that the are those the eight i i wasn't counting no there's two others that that tend to fluctuate so i'm not quite sure i mean i i do notice it sometimes sometimes no so one is that it was burning me when i was finishing so i had this sensation of burning i won't say it's electrical but it was definitely not pleasant when i was finishing so at in, at some point, like you don't have the the pleasure, but not only you don't have the pleasure, but you have really something like hurting you or making you feel very uncomfortable. Um, now it seems to be not the case, even though sometimes I'm like, this is weird. Um, but I cannot say it's set, it's set in stone. I cannot say that. 
and um, regarding the last one uh, it's just um, the texture of the of the semen which is really like water this is fluctuating also but during a few years it was literally really liquid the color also transparent liquid now it's not all the time the case so it, it tends to fluctuate i'm not sure why i have no idea uh, this is something i noticed this i cannot say it bothers me it's just uh, the global picture when you take those eight symptoms it's difficult to attribute this to to depression um it, it's not possible i mean if you have some let's say good faith and you're a bit rational and logical there's something not going on out there and it's not that and it's not just the fact of yeah you maybe you stress maybe you're not young anymore you know you're almost i'm almost 34 now but i'm i'm still not dead i think it's fine okay how did your girlfriend react when she found out that you had developed PSSD? So we're talking about the one in the Philippines, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, so I think she did not understand the gravity of the situation. And at this time, the communication with her was not optimal. If I can say this like that, it did affect me also a lot because I was going through tough times. I mean, really tough times. I've been through a lot in my life, honestly, and this wasn't needed and it was a pretty high level. So emotionally it did impact me and it didn't help, I guess. Um, she was pretty comprehensive. But yeah, she didn't want to talk about the subject and I was trying to explain to her that some things are not, are not working emotionally and it wasn't the right time to talk about that. So, um, it was really three difficult months. And so you mentioned it kind of as, you know, the girlfriend in the Philippines, did that relationship end eventually? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it ended okay. because of PSSD, even though I have no 100% guarantee, but I'm pretty sure it's not linked to this. Um, from Communication was lost, but I never had the impression she, she this, this topic was an issue, uh, especially that it was temporary. I was over the temporary, but overall it ended for, 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 for other reasons, but Okay. I, I guess it clearly didn't help, you know. Sure. And and so with the girlfriend you have now, what was it like starting to date again, knowing that you had this problem? Actually, yeah, let me let me say that differently. What was it like dating with PSSD? It's a bit like um, having to drive a plane, but you don't have the license. So you're going to drive the plane, but it's not going to be easy, you know, and eventually people are going to notice that <laughs> you don't have the license. So um, put in other words, when I, I went in a, in a date app, 
the purpose was just to test. I wanted to see if I could tease girls and just feel something. I wasn't into going in a relationship or not. I was just seeing if I'm reacting to any any words or any stimulation. Uh, I was trying to not trying to create the environment to access or feel some emotions because if you don't do that, they will not come back magically. So I'm constantly forcing myself in my daily life to do things. Even if I don't want to, I'm not motivated. I want to see people. I'm just like, I know I like that. Even if I don't like it, I'm going to like it. Like I'm going to do it a thousand times. And, uh, it's frustrating obviously, and brings a lot of irritation, but to come back to your question, I did, uh, eventually see her in another country the first time after six months talking and it, I think it did, it did, uh, the first month did help me a lot. I mean, I was pretty cash on the PSSD issue. I have no issues talking about this to anybody, uh, who's willing to listen and open, uh, let's say open-minded and non-judgmental because I'm not going to lose energy for nothing either, but I think girls are very complex. Let me, let me, uh, well, yeah, let me ask you about that. Cause I think that's interesting. Are you saying that you weren't afraid to talk to a potential partner about PSSD? Like it, it wasn't something that made you nervous? Like it's something that it's, it's not a pleasure to do it because this is nonsense. Mm-hmm. Like I shouldn't even be talking about this topic. It's like, doesn't make sense, but I'm not nervous because I, I cannot even feel like this kind of emotion. So I'm very no filter. When I say no filter, I mean, I have this experience from my previous life and uh, education, work and common sense. So I know how to react in society. I know what to say, but now if something is irritating me or I need to tell something, I don't have anxiety. I don't have this, uh, heart pumping. I'm just like saying things. And I noticed that girls are pretty comprehensive. I would say more than, than boys in, in general matter. And I can't say it was a pleasure, but I had to inform her because I'm not going to go and see her and her imagining stuff when like, I'm not going to talk when I cannot act, you know? And so let me ask this, um, it sounds like it wasn't actually as frightening to do it because you were still suffering from a lot of blunting and and there was less anxiety and fear going on. Is that a fair assessment? It's a fair assessment, but there's also yeah. there's a, it's also a matter of respect and uh yeah. Respecting the other of person, of course, and, yes. You yeah. know, uh, informed yeah. consent for her. What's what's waiting for you? What's you bought this product? What's in the product? What you're gonna get? You need to be clear. So she she it was fine for her, and um, I think in some way it can also it's not gonna do miracles, but it can maybe if you have any pressure, it can maybe help you or liberate you a bit. I can't say it's my yes. case, but having things that are set and clear, she can only have, she will only be surprised in a positive way and not the contrary. Okay. 
I'm going to, I'm going to pivot and ask you about something else now. Has, has the cognitive dysfunction from the PSSD impacted your ability to work and earn money? So before that, I was already impacted physically. So I wasn't working between 2011 and 2021. So mm -hmm. I was already impacted massively. Now, cognitively, the first year I was feeling that I had some issues with uh, concentration. Um, and uh, how we could say that, not jet lag, but a bit brain fog, maybe. Um, overall, I was lucky to not have too much damage. And um, I also recently did a, another water fast. We will go on after, but I think this, I believe, doesn't do miracles, but I believe helps me. Um, yeah, not sure it answers your question. No, 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 it does. Yeah. How understanding have your, f well, let me ask you this. How has your family responded to you having PSSD when you've shared the news to, about this with them? Uh, I think they just don't realize. I mean, you know, you, you can say to anybody, I have PSSD, like they have no idea what it is. So usually the common, they saw I was in complete distress. I was feeling bad. Like, I'm very solid. I, I don't have any fear to say that I'm very solid mentally. And seeing that it's impacted me that much was a bit preoccupating for them, especially I was in another country at the time. Um, you have all the, the family, I mean, the surroundings, the friends, and telling them that, yeah, you know, he stopped antidepressants, he needs to get back on them. And, and this is so, like, so basic way of, of thinking like it's like they are at this level and we just over there like it's much more complex than this and I mean I they I, I think they believe me uh, they do believe me they just cannot do anything and uh, they are supporting me but we don't talk about it uh, I, I rarely mm -hmm. talk about this I'm not I never complain I don't talk like sometimes I mention it but I think they tend to forget because they also have their life and I'm some, somehow, I'm somehow managing my life. And I, I mean, since a kid, I've always have an, a knack for hiding my, my pain and troubles. This is, I think due to my personality, but also the fact that when I was playing tennis, I was uh, focused on not giving any any kind of negative emotions to the opponent. And, um, you know, if you have a look at my Instagram right now, like people literally think I'm living my best life. I'm, I'm not saying it's not the case, but there's obviously a lot of things that are impacted me physically and this PSSD. So I'm very good at hiding, which is very good because it enables me to be in society and to be accepted as, as normal. The one thing or the negative side is that people do not understand why you feel bad or if you feel bad, because you always 
I mean, I'm always talking with people when I'm outside the house, very social. I never complain, but when I'm in, in house with my parents or my girlfriend, they get fully impacted, like hard. Yeah. Okay. Looking back on the last four years of dealing with this, what is the biggest way that PSSD has impacted your life? It's a tough question, but I've been lucky to, to be able to find a, a job with, um, with my cousin. So we fully decentralized and digitalized and in some, in some sense, I've, I've been very lucky because I'm going very well financially and, uh, I have this flexibility, uh, of traveling, of, uh, managing my time, uh, which, which is a big plus, but what I feel right now is, is that I literally have everything. And maybe you know what I'm going to say, but I really feel like yeah. I have nothing. And that's the, that's how I feel. Like I'm not saying, uh, money and material things and having a relationship is, is what makes you happy. But like I have a home, I'm financially good. I have a nice car. I travel a lot. I go in good hotels. Like I've got a, a girlfriend who is really an amazing person even though it's, it's, it's a challenge for me. We can talk about this after, but overall there's this sense of, uh, emptiness that is not due of, not due to depression or, or the fact that I'm, I'm not doing anything of my day, but there's something not working and, and yeah, it's a challenge every day. Every day is a challenge. In the last four years, have you noticed any improvement in your, in your PSSD symptoms? It's not easy to answer. I feel I don't have improvements now. Um, the thing is that you eventually get used to the sensation of having PSSD. So the reaction or that should I have towards PSSD has a bit changed. It's still very frustrating and challenging and some periods or days are, are very complicated, but I think the initial shock is gone and it's still difficult, but I seem to manage it, even though I think I will never, um, yeah, I will never maybe be happy while this issue is still here, especially on the emotion side. Um, more than sexual. So that makes sense to me. So I correct me if I'm wrong, but what it sounds like is physically you still feel the same, you know, emo and, and I guess the psychological aspects, the psychological symptoms, I'll, I'll say instead still feel the same, but the, but the fear that you have about what has happened to you has lessened, I guess, because you're more used to it. Maybe the impact it's had on your life has lessened because you've gotten used to living with it. Is, is that a fair way to describe, you know, what the quote unquote improvement has been? It's a fair way, which is, 
I don't know if you can call that improvement, but there's, yeah. there's a process that has been done and, and it leads me to where I am right now. Um, I keep, I mean, it's not easy to have a, a problem and not finding a solution. I mean, before PSSD, uh, I have another solution that I cannot, another issue that I cannot solve, which is my physical pain. I'm still fighting 20 years after. It's still taking me a lot of research and time and appointments. And I'm focusing a lot of energy and time on this. And now I also have the PSD issue, which I know I will not find a solution. I'm not a researcher, but it's, it's a lot to deal with. And maybe I'm so used to having battles and challenges that makes it easier. I don't know. I know. I know suicide has been a big issue in the PSSD community. You know, people go missing um, and, you know, we just wonder what's happened to them. Have you had your own struggles um, wondering about whether life is worth living, thinking about suicide as you've been going through all of this? Yeah, definitely. Which is, uh, which means a lot because I mean, there's nobody who wants to think about that, but at some point it was a serious option, at least imagine it and thinking about it because first year was really, really tough. And, um, that's, that's when also I, I was talking to a, a guy called Dylan. Um, he did, um, guy in therapy in Mexico. And I was talking about him with him about PSSD because he had the exact same issue as me, uh, bluntness, uh, anhedonia, um, sexual issues. And, um, I, I can't say I was, I mean, I was such in a bad state that I needed to do something and it's not easy because there's clearly this, this benefit versus risk choice to do that is very tough uh, in this community. You can do nothing for PSSD and maybe you will get better, maybe never. And at the same time, you want to be active and find a solution. So you're going to take a supplement or maybe you're going to do this therapy or this uh, psychedelic and it can help you, but chances, chances are higher that they will eventually make you crash. So you're stuck in this, in this decision that not making decision is maybe a good one, but taking the decision to do something is maybe a bad one. I don't know if you understand mm-hmm. my point. Um, I I understand it very well because I I deal with it not just with PSSD but with another condition called protracted withdrawal, which is um, severe neurological devastation from rapid antidepressant or benzo removal, and 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 you can't really do anything about it. I mean, you you the people wait several years to recover, but they're frequently stuck in a position where they you know they they will not accept what's happened to them because it is so uncomfortable and so horrid that they're often saying, should I take this supplement? Should I get stem cells? Should I do this treatment? And it's the same thing, you know, that there's nothing really that works, but, but because of the desperation of being in so much distress, people have to try something because they need to feel proactive in their recovery. Mm-hmm. Everybody's yeah. asking on the, on the forums, on PSCD networks, what should I do? What should I do? And 
The answer is simple. Nobody can tell you. Like it's 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 like playing lotto. So the lottery. So it maybe help him, but it costs ten people. It will maybe help mm -hmm. you, maybe not. Like it, it's sad to see this. Every couple of days, I see new members coming into the forum, just up in my feed. Like I'm starting from this, this, this. What can I do? Will it go away? And I feel sad for those people because they just enter in a new, a new chapter of their life that will maybe mark them forever. And maybe they even have no idea where they are right now, but nobody can help them. That's the, the true, I mean, that's, that's the truth in, in 2024. Yeah. Let me ask a follow-up question on the suicide. Mm -hmm. How did you decide that this was something that you were going to live through rather than end your life over? Mm -hmm. Is there a rational response to this? I don't know. Um, I think it's more my attitude and personality. Like I, I hate giving up and thinking that I could give my life is an option, but thinking that maybe five years later we'd be fine. And knowing this, like, I mean, what keeps me alive right now, it's the hope and the fact that I don't know what's going on. If you're telling me right now that maybe in 60 years I'm, I'm going to remain the same, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen, but this uncertainty and the fact of having faith or hope, that's what keeps you alive. So I'm here at four years and a half. And I think the first year I would have never thought about doing, achieving this performance, if you can say this. Um, Mm -hmm. And I still think that despite all these horrible issues we have, or I have, I still have a lot of positive in my life, even though I cannot access those emotions and really, um, really realize because, because it's numbed and it, it seems normal, but mechanically, analytically and rationally, I know that I'm lucky, but I know that a lot of things are not going on, but I have a girlfriend who's here. She's amazing. She's supportive. I think she lives the condition better than me, you know, which is ironic, but it's, it's reality. And I tell my parents, I try to take care of myself. Even if sometimes I don't want to, I try to, to accomplish the same things and, and create the environment for some healing to happen. If it's willing to happen, take care of myself, do some do a job, have some money, travel, even though like it doesn't do me anything when I see something really nice. I'm like, I knew I wanted to do this before in my past life. I'm going to do it eagerly. If I don't react, I don't react, but I did this check and uh, I'm still trying to live life. So I cannot do more. I mean, I cannot invent emotions. I cannot cry if someone dies and I cannot cry. What can I do? Like, cannot invent this it's, it's chemical like it, it's bad and sad but i have no i cannot do anything more <laughs> if i could I, would, I wouldn't be dead talking with you yeah so let me ask you this we have time for one more question before we have to wrap but i think it's actually an incredibly important one um you're here four and a half years later if you could go back in time well, actually, maybe not go back in time. What would you say to someone 
who is just just learning about this that they've just withdrawn they've just discovered pssd they've just developed the symptoms and they're facing their journey dealing with this how would you tell how would you advise them to cope with this condition and stay alive so first of all i don't think i'm in position to to advise anyone but um I mean, it's important for the person to not spend uh, the whole day on, on forums and reading literature and all that stuff because like, everyone, everybody has done it and you will not find any solutions. Um, focus on one on itself. And I mean, it's, it's just, there's no perfect advice. I mean, you got to let time a bit, at least past one year wait and focus on yourself and give your body the opportunity to do something. But again, it may not work. Um, I'm trying to be rational, like putting emotions aside, <laughs> which is easy, but really rational. Like there's nothing we can say or do, but it's important to be supportive and, and say that you tried this, what was the result? And maybe there's some positive stories, maybe not, but at the end of the day, we're all different and what works for you will not work for me. And maybe you get better, maybe you know, maybe you don't have PSSD, maybe you don't. There's, I would say, first of all, to do some elimination. So some, a few exams to really be sure that it's maybe not PSSD. I mean, it can be <laughs> blood test. It can be doing a pudenda electromyography. It can be doing pelvic floor therapy. You can do an MRI of, um, of, uh, what was that again? I had this something here, uh, lumbar spine and sacroiliac MRI just to eliminate things. Um, can see a urologist. This is basic, but at least, you know, you, you covered with this and, and then eventually, yeah, you have PSSD, but it's good to, to try a few things and eliminate. I've got one more question. Sure, no worries. Now that you've developed PSSD and it's clearly had a substantial impact on your life, what would you say to the doctors that prescribed you the antidepressants without warning you of this risk? It, it's a hot topic. Um, should I blame them? I would say yes and no. I mean, those doctors go to school, universities, they are trained in a certain way. They have procedures to follow. They basically do what they teach to. So one would say that the the PSSD weights are so wide, so aware that it doesn't, it's not worth mentioning it because maybe the person will not have the proper treatment. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't agree with this, even though we don't have a clear data right now. I think the, the problem is more and more common at some extent. Um, I personally, I mean, the, the first psychiatrist I saw, I mean, the second one I saw, 
Cooper smiled me this much. I deeply think she did what was the best for me. Now she didn't warn me about this effect, clearly, as she was irresponsible. I don't know. Um, I know that uh, the EMA, the EMA has uh, has done some changing the labels and uh, I think Health um, Canada, I'm not sure if they applied it, but they said they're going to do it. FDA, I don't know. But I think they're just trying to do, in my case, the, the best for me. But to the psychiatrist I have right now, the it's the third one, but let's say the second really psychiatrist I, I'm mm -hmm. seeing. She is, uh, I think she's slowly understanding that the PSSD theory I have is, is maybe correct because initially I don't think she was really in line with this and um, she does understand the fact that I don't take any meds. She doesn't bother me with that, but she's just telling me, honestly, that's the, that's the only thing she knows. It's like prescribing meds. Med, so if if I don't want to take any meds, it's fine. But she's like, how can I help you? Like, what's the point of seeing you each two weeks or each month? Because, like, I don't know what to do. And I prefer hearing this, which is really honest answer and rational and sad. But it's reality. She cannot help. I'm not waiting for any help from her. So perfect. Well. That was that was that was great. I we're at time for today. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Uh, as a second, uh, as a you know non-native English speaker, I can tell you that um, uh, you were great. You know, didn't 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 miss a beat, and you came across very clear. And I think a lot of people are going to get tremendous value from what you've shared. So. Uh, thank you again. Thank you. I appreciate your words um, regarding the English. And to be honest, there's a lot of other things that we haven't discussed, but we one hour 22, so eventually we have to wrap. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, anyone can reach me in comments if needed. And I will not do miracles, but at least we heard talking about the subject and it's very good and I'm very... Glad that you're doing this also. So thanks a lot for this, for the community and all the people suffering from this who don't even know they're suffering from this. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you want to work with us, go to taperclinic.com where you can discover our pressure-tested strategic taper protocol that has helped hundreds safely discontinue their psychiatric medications. And if you want to see the full video interview, or more exclusive videos about tapering tips, medication management, and adverse drug reactions, go follow Dr. Yosef on YouTube.